and thank you, our wonderful guide through the stratosphere for doing this. So go ahead. This is, this is Monique Douglas, by the way. I know it's the beautiful Monique. She's at home. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're all at home. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let me know, okay. when, you, let me know when you're ready, Monique, and we'll get the show on the road. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of City Talk. When you talk about sports, you get to talk to a sports icon. And we've got one who I'm proud to call a good friend as well as a smart sports guy. None other than Upton Bell, who was a general manager, a scout, a broadcaster, and an author. Uppy, I hope I didn't leave anything out. A curator of mammals. You forgot yeah. that. <laughs> and, and, if, and if I get enough votes, I could end up being the president of the United States. Why? Anybody can. <laughs> well, before we get to the, to the uh, meat of why I want to have you on, Something great has happened to you on the uh, University of or, uh, UMass at Amherst. Tell us about that. Well, it's one of two major collections. There'll be another one sometime in the spring. But this one takes a look uh, through my eyes of the Bell family and college and pro football from the 1885s to today. It has uh, a muck, uh, 145 and counting artifacts. The display case was uh, built for people to be able to see if they go online and click on to the Upton Bell collection. You can see actually the display case, which has my Super Bowl ring from the Baltimore Colts from 1970-71, which by the way now is a big collector's item. In fact, I've been offered as much as $100,000 for it. Uh, also, you'll see my father's 1919 college football. You will see uh, all sorts of stuff, uh, gifts from George Hallis uh, to me when he won the 1946 Chicago Bears World Championship gold footballs. You'll see uh, also from the historic 1968 Baltimore Colts loss to the New York Jets, a gold-plated watch from that. All sorts of artifacts are in there. A signed football by my former team, the Charlotte Hornets, including Arnold Palmer. Uh, pictures of my grandfather, who was uh, negotiated along with Walter Camp uh, with Teddy Roosevelt to save college football. You'll see his picture uh, playing with, a, believe it or not, a stocking helmet uh, in the 1880s. And then see in the same picture, my father, who was the captain of Penn, uh, that picture is in there. There are incredible things in there, including two, Ken, uh, the 1947 Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees bats signed by Joe DiMaggio, Teddy Ballgame, and many of the other people. There's a Hall of Fame baseball given to me from Robin Roberts. Uh, so it covers all of the sports, but, but mainly it takes a look at the history of college football through to Burt Bell founding the Eagles and then to his partnership with the Steelers, then to his partner as a commissioner of the NFL. And takes a look also at my mother, Frances Upton, who was a Zigful Folly star and actually lent my father the money to buy the, uh, the funk Frankfurt Yellow Jackets and renamed them the Philadelphia Eagles. So then in there too are eight videos of the history 
of, of the league, starting with my mother and working all the way through to today. And those videos are in there. I did them uh, with a public broadcasting partner. And they are now being looked at in Hollywood as part of a documentary on the history of my life in the game. So that's just some of the things that are in there. It's, it's an incredible collection. And the good thing about it, Ken, for people that want to go and actually see it, they've already had people that once the pandemic clears that will want to go up and actually see it, see the ring, see all those artifacts at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, which by the way, has the largest sports administration class in the world and also wow. has it also has the papers of of mark mccormick the famous agent who signed originally arnold palmer jack nicholas and gary player and also they just got and it's in the same room as mine the pentagon papers by daniel ellsberg so it's it's quite a place quite an honor to be there but uh, they hope that scholars will come uh, from all over the country to begin to study this history of what college football was and the NFL, look at the artifacts. But we found all sorts of things, including just the other day, Jim Irsay, the owner of the Colts got in touch with me because he saw that I put online on social media, a uh, picture of the actual document when Burt Bell signed as commissioner to let the Baltimore Colts into the NFL. Uh, Jim Irsay bought that and is now part of his collection. So it's been an incredible ride on this thing and, and all the things that surround it. And hopefully you and the many other people will come up there and see it. If not, they can go online and look at different aspects of it. You can click on, you can see things on my mother. You can see things on my father. You can see videos. You can see actually... Uh, a, a collector called me about a month ago and said, I went online and found a love letter between your mother and father as they were secretly married. And he was telling her how much and how hard it was to survive with the Eagles. Incredible stuff. Wow. Well, you should be very proud uh, to be able to have something like that. And uh, I'm just proud to have you uh, as a friend and hear you talk about it. So I'm getting just as big a thrill. Um, and I'm sure once all this is done and settled, uh, I can talk Terry into driving out there and, and taking a good look at it. Um, Terry, let's get with it, babe. You know, <laughs> all right. Mark, Mark, Mark's a VIP, you know, Kerry. You are too. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, I wanted to have you on to discuss some of the things that have happened in the last year or so, not just because of the pandemic, but, but right now, uh, at least in my opinion, everybody's talking about the Patriots and football. Did you have a hunch before it actually happened that Tom Brady was going to be gone? I thought a year ago he'd be gone. And, and I'm, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm not surprised by what's happened. I've seen uh, many franchises over years uh, go and end up the way the Patriots are right now. They they had one of the great runs in history. <clears throat> Pardon me, Mark. Yep. They had a 20-year run. Most, most dynasties, and they're no longer really dynasties, particularly in the NFL, as well as any sport. 
is that a dynasty were like the Packers, a five-year, 10-year run, the old Colts, uh, the great Pittsburgh Steelers winning uh, you know, four Super Bowls in 10 years. Those days are over. But the Patriots had an incredible run of almost, well, actually 19 years to be exact, of you know, championships, Super Bowls, all the things. You'll never see that again, not in the NFL the way it is today. But what most franchises don't do is they don't prepare themselves that well enough ahead of time to see that the end is coming. And the end is always coming, particularly in a sport where the average life of a player is only three to three and a half years. So in this case, <clears throat> Brady and Belichick, you could see over the years, Brady was chomping at the bit and Belichick is, 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 a, is a, a kind of a control. I wouldn't call him a freak, but, <clears throat> but he is somebody that, that actually controlled everything. And Brady wanted a freer type of atmosphere. You ain't going to get that here. And, and on the other hand, for all the criticism both ways, I think one needed the other. And in and, and this case, I think the mistake was made that there was no quarterback on the horizon. That, that, that uh, uh, Stidham, who was their present you know, young quarterback, is not the answer, according to people that I talked to. And so you, you have Brady at the end of his career, but still in such fantastic physical shape that he probably will play another two or three years, maybe not at the highest level, but still good enough to be in that top 10 or so quarterbacks. And instead of keeping him around saying, okay, we're going to pay him. We're going to pay him in the 20 million range. <clears throat> we're going to be a little bit nicer uh, because that's, I think, one of the things that he wanted, like it or not. And we'll keep him around till we can find somebody. But they didn't do that. And, and in the meantime, too, Ken, <clears throat> what they didn't do is they didn't have good drafts the last two or three years. And that really hurt them. So now they have a team with no quarterback that can really throw the football. I love Cam Newton, but, but he's not the answer long-term. And evidently the coaches who see Stidham every day don't feel, or at least so far, that he's a future all the while with five players opting out because of the pandemic. And really a team that really is not that talented. So all of those factors came together. And now what do we have? A decent, maybe better than mediocre team, great coach, but on no quarterback for the future. And uh, particularly on defense, not as good a defense as they had before. Well, in the NFL today, if you're not near that top, you're going nowhere. Well, they've, they've played for a while without uh, Julian Edelman, and now he's coming back. Do you think that will help? Uh, that, that's like saying Calvin Coolidge is coming back. <laughs> what, you know, what, what, what the hell does that mean? Where they are right now, how much difference does it make? See, I'm already into 2021. Uh, I don't think it's important. All the local yokels do, all the, the, the talk shows, you know, they keep this, this phony myth going that, that maybe they can make the playoffs and maybe they can, but 
it's not the future. It's, it's without a quarterback. It's without key players. It was out not a really particularly good draft. It's, it's free agents are going to, they're going to go from this team uh, come next year in the middle of a pandemic. So it, to me, that isn't, isn't as important as what are you going to do for the future? And Julian Edelman is a player that's taken a terrible beating for years now and been a great clutch receiver. But he, you know, he's he's in the range of of uh, as a football player in the range of somebody being seventy years old, and so him coming back, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I, if for me, if I were him, I wouldn't be coming back. I <laughs> I would want to protect myself and see if I can go someplace else in the future, or if he was really smart, he's had an incredible career, uh, just a borderline hall of fame player i would i would quit i would say that's it you know he's he's had we don't know how many concussions he's really had and his injuries and believe me maybe not now but when he's in his 50s uh and he begins to have trouble with his brain uh he'll wonder why he didn't quit earlier that's my take on it at least all right you know, there's an old saying: "Hindsight is 2020 vision." Yeah, well, you better um, get. That I will yet. always. Good. <laughs> I'll always wonder why the Patriots got rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, well, should they have? have to go... hunt... You don't go have ahead. to go any further than talk to me <clears throat> about okay, this. Okay, I'm talking to you. All the forces of evil were in play here. <laughs> Bob Kraft, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, the holy trinity of the Patriots. And then the fourth person, Jimmy Garoppolo. First of all, let's start with a very unusual situation. And that is Garoppolo and Brady had the same agent. Not good. Not good. As far as the club is concerned, I, I, I probably would have said maybe, uh, maybe they would have rejected me. I probably would have said, listen. Uh, I don't think it's healthy. I don't want to deal with the same agent for both guys because uh, you always put yourself in the, in the position of manipulation here. So you had a situation where Brady, Brady, any time that Brady, and this is what made him great, felt threatened. Even when he is at the top of his game, he saw Garoppolo, whether it's in practice or when he finally got a chance to play, as, as a danger to him, to his future. That, you know, Garoppolo was young and Brady was, you know, approaching middle age as a player, even though he was at the top of his game. So basically, you had a situation of where Brady wanted him gone without saying it publicly, where Belichick wanted to keep him where the salary cap would have been ridiculous to keep both, where Kraft wanted to please Brady. You see all these forces playing here. So as a result, mm -hmm. nobody got what they wanted. Brady got temporarily what he wanted. Belichick didn't get what he wanted. Kraft somewhere in the middle. And as a result, I think Belichick really got PO'd and said, the hell with this. Uh, you know, I've been kind of let known that Brady's the guy here. 
and uh, you know, I, I can't keep monetarily. I can't keep Garoppolo, so I'll trade him out of out of the division. I'll trade him out of the conference. I'll trade him to the 49ers for a second round draft choice. Now, people were, by the way, Ken, about that at the time, uh, but basically, when you look at it, uh, with the injury factor. Uh, that Garoppolo suffered, and and with you know great promise, and, and on one hand, and the other hand, uh, some failures like in the Super Bowl, and this, a, a second round draft choice was about right uh, for him. So they lost in many ways on this thing, and eventually it came home to roost. They lost Garoppolo, they lost Brady, and now they're losing. You think Cam Newton will continue as the quarterback at least for the rest of the season? Uh, I'm looking out the window. If he he will not be here like the snow won't be here in three days, you know, I I just <laughs> I I just don't think so, unless they have no other alternative. Yeah. And it isn't. You know what? I I love Newton's attitude. I I I like the guy. Uh, you know, he's taking a beating. He's a real leader on the club. He has all the things, but you know what? It's like saying to you, Muck, let's do this interview without a microphone. You know, he just, he, he can't, <laughs> he's, he's had, you know, two or three operations. He's, his arm is hurt. You can see when he throws his feet aren't planted, which he get, could get away with in the past because of the strength of his arm. But for a guy that big, he has trouble throwing the ball 10 yards. I mean, they literally have won games, which mm. is a miraculous, with him barely throwing for 40 or 50 yards. So I, I think the only way he comes back if there's no other alternative. Uh, I think he'll either be a free agent again or retire or whatever it is. And I have great admiration for this guy. He's a terrific leader. But when you can't throw the damn football over 10 yards with any accuracy, I don't think he'll be back. Now they're stuck with a situation with Stidham. Is he the answer? How would we know? I don't think so, but how will we know? Because <laughs> you can't get in and watch practice anymore, or nobody knows except those coaches. But let me put it this way. If they thought he was the real answer, would they still keep playing Cam Newton? I don't think so. All right. Let's switch topics. Another athlete that was here and loved by everybody is, was Mookie Betts, and he is gone, and I mean long gone, with a 12-year contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, kind of a compound question. Do you think that the Red Sox just didn't want to offer him enough money, or he didn't want to stay here? I think it's both. I'll call it a compound fraction. <laughs> in that, that that basically with with Mookie, uh, I, I think Mookie is more comfortable in L.A. This is a town. What I love about Boston also is what other people might not love about it. It demands much of its athletes. It demands much of its team. It's a town that demands much of itself. Uh, the two towns that, that I rank, three towns that I rank one, two, and three in America are 
Philly, Boston, and New York. You can't con anybody in any one of those towns. I think also here, uh, there, there still is the lingering doubt or thought that this is not a racial friendly town. Whether that's true or not, hard to say, but, but I do think that it is a place where over the years, starting with Bill Russell, well, even going back before that, where athletes did not feel comfortable here. And, and I think Mookie is very, very laid back and, uh, and, and not so much his performance, but I'm sure he heard racial epithets of Fenway Park. I'm sure there, there are parts of, of, of uh, Boston. And, and again, this is not necessarily pointing figures. I'm just telling you my feedback that there's certain athletes, whether you're African-American, white, Chinese, whatever you are, that can come here and live under the pre pressure in this atmosphere. Uh, I think Mookie could do it on the field, but not off the field. And I think also there was the other fact of life, which has now changed with the pandemic, that the Red Sox partially saw that they couldn't sign him. That, you know, whether they want to admit it or not, they couldn't sign him for many reasons, that being one of them. But also, you know, he, he was just... What would he be like? See, uh, unlike football, baseball and, and, and basketball to a degree, but baseball, you're really paying at the height of a player's career, that player for that next two or three years. But the player and the agent demands a 10-year payout. So you're really paying millions of dollars for a guy that really won't be the same in three or four years. And I think the Red Sox weren't willing to do that. Now, they made a big mistake with John Lester because he went on in the latter part of his career to, to, to pitch very well for the Chicago Cubs. But in the case of Mookie, I think it's both. I think they didn't want to pay the money. And, and I think he basically, uh, not only the money, but didn't want to be here. Now, he signed with the Dodgers, I think it was for 10 years, for money that in some ways will translate not quite as much as maybe what he was offered here. So it's a complex question, but I've tried to answer the complexities. All right, let's talk about the managerial situation. Oh, please. Uh, the team was gutted. They got rid of David Price. They got rid of Mookie Betts. Um, Ron Renneke was hired for one year. Almost everybody knew that the Red Sox were going to have a bad season. Do you think that Renneke should have been rehired? Uh, no, I don't. But I, but I also, I, I, I think there's a lot at play here. I, first of all, I don't like the way the Red Sox totally stripped this team. And we're going to find out, by the way, if, if the fans are going to come back and pay those exorbitant prices after this pandemic and, and whether they feel the same about a team who cynically just ripped the whole team apart and uh, basically has, you know, very little left. Uh, maybe they'll go out and prove me wrong and, and uh, really buy in the open market, but I doubt it. I, I, think, I think we're taking a look at this period of, of uh, another bridge year, but you know what? Uh, we're going to see what plays into this bridge year because I think Muck, not only with the Red Sox, but with the Patriots, uh, 
and all of these teams, they're going to find out uh, that most of the people that really support, other than the businesses, these teams, are really uh, older people uh, that put their money away to go see the Red Sox and, and the Bruins, Celtics, and Patriots. Uh, you know, you, you've been sitting home. I, I've got three TV sets here. And, and you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I can watch on Sunday the Red Zone. I can watch two other games. Um, I can watch the news. I can watch everything here. Uh, if, if they gave me a gold-plated seat in the press box or, or, or in any one of the uh, beautiful boxes at Fenway Park, I'd say, no, thank you. I don't need to. Why the hell should I go down there? <laughs> Pay the park. Fight the crowd. Go up, uh, go up and down and, and, uh, and be charged uh, $200 for a lousy hot dog. So uh, I wonder how many people are going to return? I think a, a majority will, but beware, uh, because that's where the real danger is. And I think the Red Sox, maybe they'll change everything. Uh, you know, our conversation is today. Uh, but I, I yep. think it's a real danger. And of course, I, I think your next question will be, what about this manager? And I say, no, 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 and no all the way through to no, 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 no. In other words, you wouldn't have brought Alex Cora back. Nope. And I think he's a terrific Why? manager. Why? Because yeah. I guess this is in short supply. Uh, but I don't want a cheater. I, I don't want somebody that that was one of the, the, the real cheaters in Houston who helped run that program and then came here and to a degree did some of the same cheating here and then they blamed it on the poor video guy uh, and, and listen I know that he relates to today's player and that's good but you know somewhere along the line this is just me personally we, we have become a country to a degree that says, okay, and it's all right, by the way, second chances. But so what? The guy's a cheater. He can win. You know, the same way with, with players. We see it in the NFL. As soon as the offseason comes, we're, we're looking at the police blotter. Who the hell got arrested? Who beat up whom? Who did <laughs> the drugs? Who did this? And the, that's part of, <clears throat> of the modern game. But I, I just, if I were the owner, I don't stand for cheating. And, and I'm not a holier-than-thou person. But if he, if he cheated in Houston, that's one thing. But he cheated here, too, Ken. And so what message does that say? And by the way, <clears throat> if, if the Red Sox lose or have a bad year, what do you think the calls are going to be from the stands? And what do you what do you what <laughs> yeah. do you think the cheap shouting uh, you know talk show people are going to say? I mean, it's always going to be with him, and I think he is very contrite with what he did. But you know what? How many chances do you get in life to you know redo on the mistakes? I don't know. <coughs> but I'm again. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I was I was surprised too, but on the other hand, if you go back. You'll notice, and I'm sure you know, that 
sign stealing has been a part of baseball for years. Um, the Dodgers or the Giants did it in 51 with the Dodgers. Uh, Bob Turley, who was a pitcher with the Yankees, was reputed to be one of the best sign stealers in the business. And they didn't find anything wrong with that. This is the difference uh, b between, uh, uh, let's say, uh, robbery is robbery, <clears throat> between trying to, to you know, rob a, 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 a packaged liquor store and robbing the bank. And what they did, uh, first of all, they should give back the World Series to the Dodgers. I mean, that was wholesale cheating. That wasn't just stealing signs. That 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 gave a totally unfair advantage to the Houston Astros in the, in the way it was done. If if it was just typical baseball cheating, you know, where you steal signs, but but what happened? Even baseball, even the commissioner, even the people recognized basically that this was endemic. That that this this was really something that that they had to do something about. So they suspended the general manager. They suspended the manager, and and Cora got lucky, got the hell out of there, or he would have been suspended. Baseball never really suspended anybody in the past for just simple sign stealing. That's part of the game, and if you're able to do it, that's fine. But but this was wholesale cheating this was like robbing the brinks you know it just it just <laughs> it, it, it this this is a this is a the worst version you can think of and and again a world series and a championship was based upon cheating you know if i if i had the chance to interview cora one of the questions I would say to him and ask him was, you know, didn't you, did you feel that Houston didn't have that much talent that you had to do what you did to win a World Series? They were, yeah. And they were a talented ball club. They, they, they were a very were. talented ball club. As talented as they were, they barely beat the Dodgers. They barely beat the Dodgers. <laughs> Seventh game. You know, they 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 barely barely got out of. <clears throat> their own league uh, to do what they did. And, and yes, they did have talent, but a lot of teams have talent. And if, if you gave that same advantage, let's say to the Yankees who they just got by or, or to the Dodgers, who would be the world champions? I mean, that, how, how, how about, uh, who was it that actually had inside his Jersey and when he hit the home run, coming around to the end they wanted to to pat him on the on on his jersey and and actually rip his jersey off when they finally won it and he was afraid to, to have them do it because inside he had the key to the cheating mm. all right now a, a question i can't resist it's the old story if you were in charge of the red sox who would you have picked as a manager to secede Reneke, if not Cora, whom all the players liked, everybody loves, and he's great with the press, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I've, I've watched all the press conferences that Cora has had. <clears throat> who, would you, who would you pick for a manager? 
I'm I'm not sure who I would have picked because I'm I'm not, you know, there there are plenty of people out there. Biggest mistake the Red Sox made, even though in the end it was best for both of them, was uh, you know, firing Terry Francona. He will go to the Hall of Fame. He was a great manager. He knew how to deal as Cora did with the players. Uh, but but he was really good for this team. And yes, it fell apart in 2011. And they, they you know, eventually it was a setup to get rid of them. Henry Warner and, and Larry Lucchino and, and Dan Shaughnessy wrote a great book on it. So, you know, I, I can't absolutely say to you who I would have named because I don't know all the names internally that they looked at. I know that they looked at another uh, younger uh, uh, manager or potential manager who I think uh, Alex hired to be his bench coach or one of his coaches. So I can't, I can't answer that. I, I, I think one person they are grooming, Ken, is Jason Veritek. And I don't know whether he was ready or not. I certainly would have taken a look at, at him. I think basically that he didn't think he was ready uh, yet. <clears throat> but I, I definitely think in the future, he's going to be somebody that will either be hired here. where yeah, I think that's a possibility. Here or someplace else. So I can't totally answer your question. But to me, it wouldn't have been core. All right. I'm a baseball or a sports purist. In other words, I, I like to see a full season. Um, 60 games to me doesn't seem like a full season. Should the season, baseball season, should that have been canceled entirely because of the pandemic? <clears throat> well, I'm a great believer in all the seasons uh, taking a year off, but I'm in the minority. And uh, <laughs> for, for, first of all, 60 games, yeah, is, isn't even a real sprint. And uh, yes, good, good, good for the world champion Dodgers. But on the other hand, uh, they won't. I would put an asterisk next to it uh, because it, it wasn't, it really wasn't a true test over a long period of time, who, whomever your champion is. And that's why the NFL is going to make every attempt to finish their season because they see that people will say that. They can say the same thing about basketball and hockey. Uh, the NFL has really done a lot of research, but they still had a lot of people who are sick. But, but they're professional athletes. But where I bring the hammer down on, on this whole pandemic in sports is the cynical people who run college football. That is a disgrace uh, because those kids aren't paid. Yeah, they have a scholarship, but most of them, you know, they, they have no choice, even though the colleges said that they do. But, you know, stopping and starting and some of your best players, you know, getting COVID and uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence, the best player in the draft, quarterback at Clemson, he had it. And one of the things that the doctors that I talk to, and I talk to quite a few doctors, Ken, will tell you is nobody knows no matter what age, but particularly the young and people who play sports, they can't tell you what the future could be and the, the after effects of getting COVID. Uh, we, we saw here 
with one of the pitchers of the Red Sox, you know, having essentially heart problems. He's only 24 years old. And you're saying to yourself, does anybody, the doctors will tell you, Dr. Fauci, we don't know what, what happens, you know, a year or two years down the line. So look at how many players. The other night, Lamar Jackson coming back for Baltimore and throwing the winning touchdown pass. But, but for the part, most of the last quarter, he was in the locker room suffering probably some of the after effects of having COVID himself, where he said basically he was sleeping during that period that he had it for 10 hours a day. Do we, do we know he had cramps in the locker room? He had cramps because his body wasn't totally fully acclimated to coming back uh, when he did. And, and yet, do we know two or three years down the road what is going, what, what's going to happen to him physically or even later in his life? They're, they're the questions that really need to be asked. And I know I'm, I'm in the minority. And probably if I owned a team, uh, and particularly in the NFL, where there are millions of dollars involved in, in televising the games, uh, that I probably would look at it differently. One of the real mysteries, by the way, of this whole thing is how, how is it the players, when they're away from the field, uh, are able to pass it on and get COVID, yet in football, uh, they're breathing on each other on every play, and nobody gets it from that. That's what the yeah. doctors are basically studying, all these different aspects of it. But you know what? We won't know for quite a while what, what the after effects are, but some of it could be very dangerous. There's been a lot of stuff written about the NFL and how they handle players uh, and the whole concussion business. And I read an article several years ago uh, and I can't remember, I don't, I want to say Alex Webster, but I don't, I don't think that's the right guy, but there was somebody named Webster that, that wound up living in his car after he retired Mike from the NFL. Mike, Mike, Mike that's Webster it. of the Steelers. Yeah, I knew Mike. That's it. Do you think that the, that the NFL has done better at taking care of players? I mean, I, I never heard a story like that before. Oh, I knew stories. In fact, one, one, of, one of the players that I first drafted, a guy by the name of Mike Curtis, who to me belongs in the Hall of Fame. It was the first person I ever drafted back in 1965. He just died in this past year. Uh, he was only in his 60s. And, and basically, he had been hit so many times uh, that he developed CTE and really died not knowing who he was. I, I had one of the last conversations with him and I was in tears when I put the phone down uh, because even though uh, they were beginning to learn some of the deadly aspects uh, being CTE from uh, multiple hits to the head, uh, for a while they tried to hide it. Uh, and if you remember the movie, it came out at Christmas time, let's say seven or eight years ago, but, uh, about the doctor in Pittsburgh who was able to discover CTE and, and warn the league about it. And they essentially tried to drum him out of the profession. Mike Webster was a guy, yes, he, 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 uh, he had attacks of paranoia, violence, everything else to himself. And he ended up 
his life living. And the Steelers tried to help him, by the way, of, of actually living in, in his car. Yep. And so the league for a while tried to deny it. And they put a doctor, the, a foot doctor in charge of this, which was a disgrace. And then finally, uh, they, over a period of years, you know, began to, to not only study it, but, you know, you have the Institute here in Boston that studies the brains of, of people. Junior Seau played here and at San Diego, blew his brains out. Uh, so there is a big relationship to how many blows to the head that you take. And by the way, uh, one of the people that we talked about earlier, Julian Edelman, how many blows to the head do you think he took? So <laughs> now, now they have, and, and to the point of where you really can't touch the quarterback anymore. And and head-to-head uh, -head hits are out. So they've tried and, and horse coloring it. And they have tried as best as they can uh, to basically, uh, you know, take as much as they can out of the game of its danger. But the game is a game of hit or be hit. And every time you're hit, the head snaps back. So it... it Pro football is the number one sport in America. College football, not far behind. But basically, uh, when I first went to my first training camp in 1946 with the Bears, uh, the average life of pro football players three and a half years. Guess what? <laughs> it's the same today. Yeah. With all, with all the improvements, with all the new um, medical stuff, with, with all the new equipment, with all the new helmets, all of these things it's still basically a very violent game and that's things that you can't avoid. So in the end, I think the NFL, once they really realized and they got so much criticism uh, that they've gone the other way into, in that in certain situations, you can't touch the player. You can't, have, you can't hit a quarterback going out of bounds. You can't hit a quarterback as he's going down. Uh, you can't hit a defenseless receiver. I mean, there, there, there are more flags thrown now uh, about uh, certainly unnecessary roughness than ever before. Hmm. Um, you know, it's funny. A little while ago, you mentioned Bill Russell. And I read, and I can't remember the name of the author, but there's a great book that has been written called The Last Pass. From Bob yeah, that's Cousy. Bob. I, in fact, it's in my other collection by Bob Cousy. Um, he and Russell, absolutely. A, in fact, I talked to Cousy quite a while ago. And yeah. The book is a terrific book. Yeah, it's a, it's a great book. But there's a remark made by Russell, and I never forgot it. And he said, and I quote, I don't play for Boston. I play for the Celtics. That uh, really hit home. Why? When I read that. If I were Bill Russell, I said the same thing. When he <laughs> played here, when he played here, the Celtics were an island to themselves, an incredible franchise, uh, underappreciated in the beginning by the town. And here's a guy that had the N-word called him all the time, whose home was pilloried at times and had terrible experiences here and to a degree on the road. <clears throat> the Celtics were his island in the middle of chaos. I just said the same damn thing. Hmm. 
a gentleman that we just lost recently, whom I adored and we both, I know we both loved, and you mentioned him in your book, is Tommy Heinsohn. <laughs> one, one of the great characters of all time. I first met Heinsohn when I was working for the Colts and there was a great bar in Baltimore. One of the great, I call it in my book, one of the greatest bars in America, if not the best, called Sweeney's. And they had a back bar there. That, that, and this is before the days where you had, you know, the, the bouncers or every player had, had their own, uh, you know, security person protecting them from what, I don't know. But anyway, any of the visiting teams coming into town uh, would, would always end up at Sweeney's, uh, you know, like, <clears throat> pardon me, at midnight or after their game. And some of them, like Mickey Mantle, drank right to the next day till it was time for the next game. <laughs> and at that bar, I met more people. I made Dave DeBush or Mickey Mantle, Bill Bradley, uh, you name it. And one night, in walks Tommy Heinsohn and Johnny Mouse. Uh -huh. Give me a, give me a drink, you guys. Anyway, swish. <clears throat> The, the uh, owner, Manny DePaula, introduced me to both of them. And that was 1966, 67. And all the way to the end, Dobby and I were friends. Great, larger than life character, great player in his time. I told him if he'd stopped smoking, he could have played another three years easily. Uh, uh, but everything from, from the team as a player to a broadcaster to a great coach, he was it. And then somebody said when he died, he really was the Celtics through and through from oh, beginning yeah. to the end. But but I'm telling you, the guy was guy had one of the highest IQs. You know, you see him on TV and he goes like, hey, stop that. Yeah, terrible call, <laughs> stuff like that. He sold insurance in the offseason like a lot of players had, you know, offseason jobs. But <clears throat> I say his IQ was one of almost a genius. You'd never know it. Yeah, he did. And, and he also pointed out, by the great way, painter, by that, the selling, way. that selling insurance uh, and being in a, in a somewhat of a managerial position helped him out when he became a coach. I believe I found it. interesting. Be, because you have to be a people person to sell insurance. You have to put up with a lot of crap. You got a lot of people saying, I don't want to buy this stuff. But the other thing is, I have uh, uh, I have one of his paintings here that, uh -huh. that I've that I've given to my other collection as painting as watercolor painting of of a uh, of a scene in Venice uh, that's terrific. I mean, at the end, he was selling his his paintings for big money. He was really uh, he was the great Renaissance man. I used to go to his place and and he'd go out on the rocks and and paint. Uh, Anasquam and all of that part, the artist colony. Uh, he, well, he just, he, he was amazing. When they would go on the road, I did some games with him uh, for the old sports channel. Whenever somebody was missing, I, I would step in and do the color. He would take his, his easel and his uh, paintbrushes with him when we were on the road somewhere and he'd get up early the next day and he'd be outside the motel or hotel painting. Oh, wow. I never knew that story. I, I will share one quick Johnny Most story with you that, I'm, that I may <laughs> have not told you. Only one. What? What? Um, when I, I came into BZ one morning and uh, Gary LaPierre 
one of the best newsmen in the world, was there. And he came into the programming office and he said, you better send somebody upstairs because Johnny's upset about something and he's in accounting and he's using his 10 seconds to go, boys. Oh, God. Oh, oh <laughs> I love boy. that story. I, oh, yeah. And, I, and I've seen I've seen a lot of a lot of his stuff when Bob LaBelle and I were doing calling all sports area. Remember, I mean, it, WBZ radio, which to me still was one of the great places ever to work with yep. all of the stars that they had there uh, from morning all the way through. You know, if, if you had called the Seuss and you had Dave Maynard and you had Gary LaPierre, I mean, you had, they had great uh, reporters and, and, and then you'd have uh, Larry Glick. Yeah, 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 yep. yeah. And you you name it, Peter Mead. I mean, it's a who's yep. who of greats of Boston. But their sports at one time, they had the Red Sox, Patriots, Bruins, and Celtics. So I got to know Johnny Most. Uh, uh, what's his name? Who did the, the Bruins? Uh, which was Bob great. Wilson. Bob Wilson. Hall of Fame announcer. Most Hall of Fame. Wilson Absolutely. Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, Kurt Gowdy, you you name it, Ned Martin, yep. all, all of these people that did it. The great Santos, Capoletti, yep. John yep. Mars. I mean, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm going through uh, maybe the best ever in yep. this town. I know so, what you I mean, I, I, I would listen to the Bruins or, or sometimes go to a game with Bob Wilson and come back home and sit there and just say, wow. I'm getting I'm getting paid for doing stuff like this. I couldn't well, believe it. Well, yeah, not like that. You were you were the big shot. Everybody had to go <laughs> through you, executive producer of the Bob and Upton <laughs> show, calling all sports. I, Muck was the gatekeeper. If, <laughs> if if the guest didn't get his approval, we were screwed. So well, I mean, there 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 was. It was almost like the old Metro Golden Mayor Studios when they had Clark Gable and they had everybody. Uh, that yep. it, it'll never, it just never happened again because then you signed a contract. Maybe you didn't make as much money as as you would make someplace else. But everybody, everybody there was a star. I mean, yep. literally, uh, yep. that place, uh, and, yep. and everybody knew it, and it had the, you know one of the great clear signals in America. Well, it was it was great. I I I, I remember once uh, I was in the station, the promotion director called me in and said, "Hey, I I got a tape from somebody who who uh, heard BZ and they were in Greece, but I can't figure out who it was that they were listening to." And he played me the tape, and it was me. This guy wow. had heard me in Greece and recorded it and sent it to BZ Radio. So that, the, no, it's amazing. Probably yep. they thought they thought you were John Travolta in Greece, the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, yeah. I want to thank you for taking some time and, and sitting down with me again and, and discussing this and that. It's always a great thrill to be able, number one, just to talk to you. And number two, just to listen to your insights and comments. You are a genuine article. And uh, I can't thank you enough. And uh, I'm just glad I, uh, that I have the pleasure of knowing you. Oh, listen, Mark, just send the check. Care I'll of, do that. Uh, often, uh, one of the things that I do want to do is, <clears throat> I'll say this on the air, 
is uh, take this interview, I have your other one, and put it in, uh, there's going to be a section. There is, there is one right now in the Upton Bell collection of video, not audio yet, but I want to take our interviews like this one and put it in the Upton Bell collection eventually at UMass Amherst because it's all about history. We are talking about history, past, present, and uh, hopefully in the future. So it's, it's great to be interviewed by you. <clears throat> and basically, it's, it's just you and Ted Koppel. That's it. <laughs> ah, I appreciate well, that. Most people, ever... don't know the, most people don't know who the hell Ted Koppel is, is anymore. <clears throat> so, you know, pick, pick any one of your people. Uh, at, at, that's on CNN or any of these other places, and uh, and that's it. So it's been great Actually, being interviewed. Yep. Koppel is still still on the air. He's on uh, with Jane Polly on Sunday mornings. Oh, is that right? Uh, you know, I, yes. I, I, I watch uh, Jane Polly, uh, who's a, a delight. And, of yep. course, her husband, Gary Trudeau, is, you know, what, one, one of the great and actually attacked everybody during the Vietnam War, but one <laughs> of the greatest cartoonists uh, this country has ever had. But Koppel, boy, he, for people that don't know him, he really had held your feet to the fire. Boy, I uh, met he, he was one of the best. He was. He was in BZ one night for some reason. I don't know what it was, but I got a chance to shake hands with him and meet him and say hello, and I never forgot it. In well, fact, there's a great there's a great book on the history of Nightline that he wrote. If you're ever looking for something to read, well, I got so, five thousand books, but uh, you you no, we're going to make you the modern day Jake Tapper. Of, <laughs> of, of, Listen, of ESPN, you you have a wonderful holiday. Uh, I hope 2021 will be a good year for all of us, and uh, I hope to see you one of these days and uh, discuss more sports stories. Well, I'm heading to the North Pole and I understand that Santa's wearing a mask, so I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I'm sure NORAD will keep good track of you. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. You take care, Uppy. Okay. Talk to you soon. All right, Ken. And that will do it for this edition of City Talk. Good night, everybody.